You ready to rumble? Okay. Here, let me hand those to you. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated if you would just for a few minutes. We're going to move on with the service pretty quickly this evening. There's some things stirring in my heart I want to share with you. And to close out tonight, I, I can't wait to talk about it, to be honest with you. But thank you so much for having me and for your kind welcome and the beautiful hotel you put me up in and the fruit basket and the snacks, other snacks along the way and, and all the nice things you've said and done. I really appreciate it. I don't know what the offering is yet, but I know you, so I know it'll be wonderful. So thank you for that. I really appreciate the generosity that you've always shown for us and to us over the years. And trust me, it goes right into the ministry, right into the harvest field, and right into what we're doing around the world. So thank you. Thank you for being part of it. And I'll miss you. So I'm kind of bummed I'm going home tomorrow. But anyways, I wish I could sort of stay. But I don't think Angela and Levi would be very thrilled. So, all right. Let's take a minute more to worship. I know the singers have just sat down, the folks who were singing with Will and that. But would you come back up? I need your help. Amen. Think of the calorie burn anyway. Everyone, let's stand up. John chapter 16. No, John chapter 14. Is everyone still okay? Good. Tell you what, read John chapter 16, verse 7 first, and then we'll go back a page. This is Jesus speaking. I think I said this the other day. It's worth saying again. If it wasn't Jesus that said it, I wouldn't believe it. Amen? There's no way we could believe this if it hadn't come from the lips of the Master himself. Jesus speaking to disciples said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. Think about it for a minute. There had never been a manifestation of God on earth like the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. There'd never been such a demonstration of power. There'd never been such a sense of the kingdom of heaven having come near to you and near to people. Jesus was the will of God in action. No one had ever walked on water before. No one had ever opened the eyes of one born blind before. No one had ever raised the dead, certainly not in the spectacular way he did it, with roll away the stone and interrupting funerals. No one had ever taken five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. Jesus manifested heaven on earth, but yet he said, guys, it's going to be better when I'm gone. In every way, God is faithful to his word. He truly does save the best wine to the end. He really does take us from glory to glory. And so Jesus has said, I've ministered to one level, but it's going to come greater. I put it this way in John chapter 14, verse 12. The works that I've done, you will do also, and what? Come on, that was awful. And what? Then these shall you do. Who do? How on earth? Jesus goes on to say, because if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. That's how on earth we see heaven. Because the comfort has come. The comforter, you know as well as I do, is the Holy Spirit. Turn a few pages to the left, John chapter 14. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Everyone say another. another. means different numerically, but of the exact same kind. It's not Jesus, it's another one, but it's of the exact same kind. Same spirit, same heart, same mind, same attitude, same vision, same dream, same power. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Everyone say another. another. Jesus was a comforter. 
The Holy Spirit is another comforter. Jesus ministered and manifested in one way. The Holy Spirit has come to minister and manifest in another way. So many things I want to say, but I don't have time. So we'll move on from that. Even the Spirit... Oh, have I read that whole verse yet? And He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you... Let's say with me. That He may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is not just for fancy services when an evangelist is in town. He wants to abide with us forever. Amen? Amen. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it doesn't see Him, doesn't know Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. Everyone say, He's with me. And He's in me. If He's with you and He's in you, I think it's about time we got to know Him. And this is what I wrote earlier. It's what the Holy Spirit just prompted in my heart and kind of sparked this message. We've learned how to encounter Him. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. But we haven't learned how to get to know Him. So the problem we have is we come to services like this and we encounter the Holy Spirit. Then we come back the next night and we encounter Him again. And we come back the next night and we encounter... And then Wednesday night we have one more encounter. And then Thursday we think, now what? Because we've learned to encounter him, but we haven't got to know him. I want us to learn tonight, how do we get to know him? He's with us, he's in us, let's learn together, how do we get to know him? Anyone else want to know, beside me? I want to know. So, another comfort he may abide with you forever. Another, different numerically, but of the exact same kind. One translation says, Jesus said, not me, but another equally divine person. Now, this new comforter is exactly the same kind as Jesus. Jesus was everything to the disciples. Once they forsook all and followed him, he was everything. He was a teacher. He was their comforter. He was their encourager. He was their helper. He was their explainer. He convicted them when they'd done done things wrong. He healed them. They could not imagine life without Jesus. And this is why Jesus took great pains and, and, and warmed them up to this idea gently... He said, guys, I'm telling you, trust me. It's going to be better for you when I go. This didn't fit well with the disciples. A few days later, Jesus brought up some similar things again, mentioned that he was going away, and Peter rebuked him. And Jesus had to put him right back in his place and say, get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things that are of God. You savor the things that are of man. In other words, you want it the way you can figure it out, but there's a way that comes from God which is better. We've got it figured out that if we could have just walked and talked with Jesus, being here when Jesus was doing all the things, that would be better. But Jesus said, it'll be better now. Which lets me know two things. One, he's right and I'm wrong. And two, there's some things I've not yet fully figured out. Because I know, I for one, I'm not going to speak for you, but I for one am not yet walking in greater works. What are these greater works? I don't believe they're greater in quality. We've talked about this before. I don't know if I did here or somewhere else, but Jesus' miracles were perfect in quality. When you're like Lazarus and you're dead and the next minute you know you're alive, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get greater in quality. When you're walking on the water without sinking so and so, you can pick someone else up. It doesn't get better in quality. What's the greater he's talking about? Quantity. It's one of the reasons why Jesus said it'll be better for you when I go because the Holy Spirit will be with you and will be in you. So in other words, where you go, all the power you've experienced through me will go with you everywhere you are. You don't have to wait till I'm there in person. 
The disciples sometimes would get in the pickle because Jesus would wait in one place and they go somewhere else. A scenario, for example, that happened to the disciples should never happen to us. The scenario being that Jesus sends them on ahead and they're in the boat by themselves. This divine power, this divine nature is not with them. Jesus has stayed behind and he's praying in a mountain and a storm comes up and they think they're going to die because they're alone. We should not have that because the Holy Spirit is with us and in us. That's why Jesus said it will be better. What happens if Jesus is ministering in Nigeria and we're in Nicaragua? We're stuck. But the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Amen? And so what we need to learn and we need to discover is how to get to know Him. Jesus said having the Spirit of Christ living inside you would be better because we now have 24-7 access to God and Him to us. 24-7 access to God and Him to us. Jesus communicated mouth to brain with the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. This is why we need to get to the point where our spirit starts to teach our mind. Have you ever had one of those things you've been praying or you read something in the Bible or you're in a service and something just sparks in you and man, it's so exciting to you. And you just, I mean, you're just bubbling up and down and you, you're jumping all over it. And then you go and try and tell someone and you sound like a Neanderthal. And you can't get it out. And then you're getting frustrated because they're not excited. And you kind of want to go, hey, McFly, why aren't you getting this? You see it so clearly in your spirit, but you can't, you can't talk about it yet. You can't explain it yet. Why? Because your spirit is teaching your mind. The Holy Spirit is born witness to something in your spirit. And your mind doesn't understand it yet. What do you do? Meditate on it. Give yourself to it. Think about the gift you've been given and your profiting will be obvious to everyone. Pray in tongues a little bit and you'll start to understand so you can then articulate with your mouth what the Holy Spirit has revealed to your spirit. Jesus said, I've talked to you one level. There's things I want to say. You can't bear them now. Why? Because the entry point of what God really wants to teach us is not through our thoughts. It's through our spirit. So Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, then he'll take what's mine and he'll show it to you. Am I making sense to anybody? Am I going a little... I don't mean this is a patronizing statement. Am I going too deep or is this all right? It's all right. Okay. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us, to you and to me, in a level that we've not really experienced, not really known before. And this is why Jesus said it would be better. So just some... All right. Jesus said this second comforter would be just like him. Numerically different. There's three members of the Godhead. It's not the same one. Whether it's number one and number two or number two and number three, it doesn't matter, they're equal. But he said, it's not me, it's another one, but it's the exact same. So if we want to understand how do we relate to the Holy Spirit, let's look at how the disciples related to Jesus. Because Jesus said, everything that I've been to you, the Holy Spirit is now going to be to you. And so there's some teaching that came in, I, I don't know when it was, I suppose in the 80s, I grew up with it. Certain things, well, you almost had a nervousness when it came to talking to the Holy Spirit because what if I said the wrong thing? What if I tell the Holy Spirit I love Him? I, I can't tell the Holy Spirit I love Him. I'm, you know, I'm only supposed to tell Jesus I love Him. And, and, and we're nervous. Do we, do we talk to the Holy Spirit? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Do we worship the Holy Spirit? Should, what, what should we do? What should we not? Well, our example is how the disciples related to Jesus because Jesus said, I'm, I'm as it were, stepping out of the way and the Holy Spirit is going to step in. I'm sending you another comforter. So questions. Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? 
Answer, did the disciples pray to Jesus? No. No, they didn't. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he do. Do we talk to the Holy Spirit? Question. Did the disciples talk to Jesus? Yes. Do we worship the Holy Spirit? Did the disciples worship Jesus? Yes. Now this is where we start to get into... Well, let me read you a few. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Who's that talking about? Jesus. Did people worship Jesus? Yes. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped Jesus, saying, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, While Jesus spoke these things to them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hand upon her, and she shall live. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, you're the Son of God. Matthew chapter 15, verse 25, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And I can see you saying, aha, John, we're not supposed to worship the Holy Spirit because he said that he was here to glorify Jesus. Well, that's true. He is. But the Bible says in John chapter 17, verse 1, that Jesus was sent to glorify the Father. But he didn't stop people from worshiping him. Now, Jesus was careful about what people worshiped him for. There was things he would let him worship him for, people worship him for, and things that he wouldn't. He wouldn't let people worship him for miracles. He said, no, no, it's not me. The Father that dwells in me, he does the work. Glorify him. Glorify your Father in heaven. There are things that Jesus would not let people worship him for. He redirected the worship. So what do we worship the Holy Spirit for and about? About the things that he does. About who he is. So do we worship him for saving us? No, that glory goes to Jesus. Do we worship him for forgiving our sins? That glory goes to Jesus, to the Father. Do we worship him for dying on a cross? No, that glory goes to Jesus. What do we thank him for? What do we worship him for? Number one, that he's God. He is Elohim. He is the great and mighty. He is part of the God in three persons, blessed trinity. He was the one hovering over the face of the deep when God spoke and said, let there be light. What are we worshiping for? What are we thanking for? Dear Holy Spirit, sir, thank you that you filled me. Thank you that you're with me and that you're in me. God, I glorify you because you're leading me and guiding me into all truth. You're causing me to know Jesus in a way I've never known him before. Dear Holy Spirit, sir, I love you. Thank you for opening my eyes to see things I haven't seen. I love you. I think you're amazing. I worship you. I fall at your feet. I bow before you. You're a great and mighty God. Why? Because he is God. Yes. He's not a, a, a substandard. That's right. He is God. Always has been, always will be. Do we worship him? Yes. And there's come a fear. Do I, can I really fellowship with the Holy Spirit because I'm supposed to do all my fellowshipping with the Father through the name of Jesus? No, there is a relationship we're supposed to have with the Holy Spirit. He has a personality. The Bible gives different things about the Holy Spirit. We know he has a, a mind, he has a will, he has emotions. Sec in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, says, What man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit knows things. 
He has a mind. He has a soul, according to Jeremiah 32. He loves, Jeremiah 12. He laughs, Psalm 2. He sings, Zephaniah 3. He rejoices, Jeremiah 32. He grieves, Judges 10. He hurts, Jeremiah 8. He can be vexed and fretted. He gets jealous and he gets angry. Trust me, my friend, God has a personality. There are things he likes and things he doesn't like. I've learned this in leading worship. There are songs God likes and songs God doesn't like. Say, no, he just likes everything if our heart's right. No. There are things he likes and things he doesn't like. There are things I like and things I don't like. Not saying it stops me loving the person that's singing it, but God has a personality. There's ways he likes to be worshipped. There's reasons why evangelist after evangelist sings the song Hallelujah. For some reason, God really likes the song. I'm not trying to be flippant about it. I'm, I'm being serious. For some reason, God really likes other things God really likes. He loves it when we sing about the lamb and emphasize the lamb this. Is that a word? The lamity? I don't know what we... The lambness of Jesus. He loves that. There are certain things it's like God is just attracted to. And there's other songs. We introduced a new song at Gateway the other day. And I was talking with one of the other worship leaders. I'd done it once. He'd done it once. I said, you know, it just never really takes you anywhere. I love the song. It's great. It's beautiful. It's, it's well written. The words are fantastic. But you just, it's kind of like you're on a roller coaster. And it just sort of stops three quarters of the way up. And you sort of think, well, now what? Kind of too far up to quit. But I'm not walking back down by myself. You just sort of hang in there. And it's like God just never sort of comes and meets you and pulls you up the rest of the way. There's things he likes and things he doesn't like. We need to get to know God in a whole new way. And speaking specifically tonight about the Holy Spirit. So turn over to Luke chapter 4 if you will please. How do we get to know the Holy Spirit? The first thing we've got to understand is it's going to take a little time. Getting to know the Holy Spirit is not an add water, shake and pour situation. Any more than getting to know the person you're going to marry. I remember when I first met Angela, well, the very first time I met Angela was at Tulsa International Airport. And me and my roommate and another girl, well, a girl named Sarah, who was going to be Angela's roommate for the second year, we're flying in from England. And Angela was picking this girl up, and she called ahead of time and said, I've got two you know, friends coming with me. Can you, can you bring an extra car to pick them up? And so we landed, in, we came through Atlanta, and for some reason got delayed for about six hours. And so we landed at Tulsa at, six, at midnight, which to us felt like six o'clock in the morning. And for Angela and her mom, who came with the extra car, she'd come down from Canada to help them get set up you know, in the new house for you know, a week or so. They'd been waiting at the airport, for over six and a half hours because rather than saying the flight six hours delayed, they just kept delaying it by 30 minutes at a time. And Tulsa Airport on a Sunday evening, which is what it was, pretty much shuts down. And so they were just kind of twiddling their thumbs. So it wasn't overwhelmingly love at first sight, but I always say Angela's wearing these shorts and her legs are sensational. And so for me, it was love at first sight. And I was carrying a guitar. And so she was quite attracted to the fact that she, you know, likes musicians. So I didn't tell her I can't play it. I was just carrying it for a friend. 
So I kept that secret for about three years. I didn't even play the piano back then either. So, so anyways, we, we you know, saw each other a time or two, and then we started going to prayer school. We were both international students, so ne- neither one of us could work. So we were able to go to all the regular class- classes during the day, and then to prayer school, they would do every afternoon, and then healing school. And, and so we sort of would get there a little bit early and strike up conversation every now and then, and, and we started sitting a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And finally, we exchanged phone numbers. And I'll never forget, she called, first time she ever called me, and I picked up the phone, and she was, we didn't have caller ID, and she said, hi, John, this is Angela, and the girl you'd be sitting next to at prayer school. Well, to be honest with you, I actually knew who it was. I didn't need the, the girl you'd be sitting next to at prayer school bit, but still, that was kind of her to clarify. And so that's how she sort of introduced herself. And, you know, first time I called, hi, it's John from prayer school. Well, fast forward a year or two. I am holding a revival in Tyler, Texas, or wherever it was, Canton, Texas. She's living up in Canada. It's about six weeks or so before we're going to get married. And this three days of services turned into two months. Actually got back to Canada four days before we flew to Jamaica and got married. And so she called me. We would talk for hours every day. She called me one day on the phone, and here it is ringing. I pick up the phone to answer, and just as I say hello, she sneezes. And so she sneezes like a cat. I'll never forget the first time she did it. It's like this. Have you ever heard a cat sneeze? It's, yeah, you know. Tss. And so the first time she did it, we're driving in the car, and I hear this. Tss. And I thought, what on earth was that? And I hear it because she always does three. Tss. So I look over her, and she does a third. Tss. I said, what are you doing? And she says, I'm sneezing. And I felt like Mick Dundee with his knife. You know, that's not a sneeze. This is a sneeze. Because I sneeze like an evangelist. When I sneeze, everyone in Home Depot knows I've done it. So sure enough, I pick up the phone and say, hello. And rather than getting, hello, this is Angela, the girl you sit next to at prayer school, I got Well, I knew exactly who it was. She didn't have to say, oh, I apologize for the sneeze. It's it's Angela from Canada, your fiance. I can see her silhouette. I know exactly who it is. I could see just, she could be standing like that. All I could see is her heel through. I know, I know exactly what she looks like. I know the outline of her hair. I could just see one fingernail. I'd know it's Angela. Why? Because, well, I've been married to her now. Believe it or not, and this shocks me as much as hopefully it'll shock you, April the 10th for 15 years. My goodness, I'm feeling really old. But anyways, we've been married for 15 years, so I've known her almost as long as I haven't known her. Pretty much. <laughs> When you're counting in the time we were dating as well, I've known her as long as I haven't known her. I know everything about her. She knows everything about me. But it didn't happen in five minutes. Now, if she were to call you, she'd have to say, Hi, this is Angela Collier. I'm John Collier's wife from England. And you say, Oh, yes. You can associate who it is. Because you don't know her so well. I know exactly. This getting to know each other. The more you know one another the more you trust each other. So it is with the Holy Spirit. We think, God send me your power, but let me just, I don't know, whittle this down with a couple of questions. I've, I've helped you out a bit here. How many of you in this room, and I'm going to ask you to answer by raising your hand, how many of you know my wife's name? see lots of you. All right. How many of you know my son's name? Oh, it's quite a lot. Okay. Uh, Let me think of another question. All right, how many of you know what country I live in? How many of you know what city I live in? How many of you know the name of the church I pastor? 
Oh, we're doing really good. All right. How many of you know my brother's name? How many of you know my dog's name? It's Charlie. He's on Facebook all the time. He appears, he appears on Facebook way too much. We could carry this on. And if, if Angela was sitting in the front row here, I could get all the way down to, how many of you know my favorite Chinese restaurant? And her hand would go up. How many of you know um, my favorite Chinese restaurant, Tyler? Her hand would go up. How many of you know the color of my car? Her hand would go up. How many of you know um, my favorite TV show? Her hand would go up. How many of you know my, my greatest desire? Her hand would go up. And I could ask pretty much any question until you could get all the way down to, and how many people share my bank account? <laughs> and one hand would go up. And how many people share my credit card? One hand would go up. How many people get my life insurance thingy? <laughs> one hand would go up. Why? Because no one on this planet knows me better than Angela. And no one on this planet has access to more of my resources, more of my heart, more of my money, more of my time, my attention than that woman. Why? Because the more you know someone, the more you can trust them with your, as it were, your power your wealth, your resource, your abilities. So it is with the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know Him because we're asking God to do some things and we're sort of yelling from afar, Holy Spirit, don't know how you do it. Haven't spoken for six weeks. But if you're not busy, God does not yell across eternity. He said He'll be with you and He'll be in you. Number one, time. It's going to take time. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Can you be um, Jesus for a minute? And I'll be the Holy Spirit. We both get great roles in this play. So here, he's being baptized, and the Holy Spirit's coming. I can't do this part. The Holy Spirit's coming down like a dove on him. And a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, to lead someone, you kind of take them by the hand. You say, come on, let's go. I'm leading you into the world. I'm showing you where we go. What's happening here? We're together, right? Amen. Notice the Bible doesn't say this. The Holy Spirit sent him into the world. Off you go. See you in 40 days. Let me know how you get on. You take care of the devil by yourself. I'm going to wait right here. Off, go on, off you go. I'm sending you. No, that's not what happened. The Bible says he led him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You can sit down. You did a very good job. The first thing we're going to have to learn to do is spend time specifically with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know whether I'm spending time with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, or with Jesus. Well, all right. Let's explain it this way. We'll pretend that you are passionate about ballet. Let's go with ballet. We'll pretend that you are passionate about NASCAR racing, and we'll pretend that you are passionate about... Basketball. <laughs> ballet, NASCAR, basketball. And I know this. I know she's really into ballet. I know he's totally into NASCAR. And I know that this is the basketball. We ask, what's the weather like up there? A basketball person. I know this because there's a book that's been written that tells me all about these different people. And so if I want to talk to Pastor David, I'm going to kind of turn and say, hey, guess what? I was watching what Shaquille O'Neal did the other day. You'll, you'll never guess it. 
I'm going to talk basketball. Work with me. But goodness sake, you just cannot get the help. Next time I'm picking on you, you're you spawning everything. Or if I want to talk to this member, I'm going to talk about NASCAR. And I'm, now I'm nervous to bring it up, but you know, if I pick someone that's dead. But anyway. Oh, and I really landed because I don't know the first thing about ballet. I don't know a plie from a pirouette. But. So if I want to talk to Jesus, I'm going to start talking about the cross. If I want to talk to the Father, I'm going to start talking about His love. If I want to talk to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to start talking about how He fills me. His gifts, His teaching, how He points me to Jesus. Talk to the Holy Spirit about the things that He does. About who He is, about what's been revealed to you about Him in the Word. Say, well, I don't know what's been revealed to me about him in the Word. Well, perhaps that's problem number one. But that's easy to fix. You can Google it these days. Just Google the Holy Spirit. Or get a strong concordance. Look up the Holy Spirit and read all the things it says about him. And then start talking to him about that. So you go through and you see Jesus says he's another comforter. So you look up the word comforter. It might take you a couple of minutes. And it means paraclete. And you'll find a bunch of things that that word paraclete means. It means teacher. Advocate, standby, helper, intercessor, counselor. And then say, all right, I'm going to take the next five minutes and I'm just going to say, Holy Spirit, sir, thank you that you're my teacher. I love the fact that you lead me and guide me into all truth. There's so much I need to know. And I'd be really grateful if you'd help me understand things I don't understand yet. Dear Holy Spirit, I'm so glad you're a counselor because I'm facing some situations right now. I don't really know what to do. I need you to, I need you to lead me in this and, and, and guide me and teach me. And, and, and start out like that. might feel a little bit wooden at the start. might feel slightly scripted. But it won't take long. It won't take long until you find yourself getting to know him a little bit. And just talk to him. Just talk to him. In the same way that Jesus talked to his disciples. Jesus told them a story and the disciples got in the boat and said, Jesus, we love you, but we don't have a clue what that was about. Can you explain it to us? And Jesus would explain the parable a little bit more and say, well, this was about this and this was about that. And next thing you know, Jesus starts the conversation and says, man, those people over there, they're just like this. And, and you start to talk. You can have that same level of communication with the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't know about that. You can because Jesus said you will know his voice and the voice of a stranger you won't follow. Start talking to him and you'll discover actually you do know his voice because he dwells with you. He's in you. Whether you realize it or not, you know him. It's a little bit like discovering that you like deer when all your life you've assumed you hate it. I had that experience quite unpleasantly in Vienna years ago. I hate deer to, to, meet, uh, to eat, excuse me. It seemed quite nice to look at, but as did every single one of the kids that was with me from my school on that school trip. We all hate deer. Every single one of us won't eat it, don't like it, makes us feel ill. At the end of the meal, we thought, boy, that was nice. What on earth was that? No one particularly thought to ask, but the next day, the teacher says, oh, did you enjoy the deer last night? <laughs> well, depressingly, the answer was yes. I loved it. Now, I've had goat, didn't like that. Horse, awful. But deer, I liked. It's amazing how you can sometimes discover after the fact, actually, I like something I didn't know I liked. 
You know the voice of the Holy Spirit. You've been hearing it. You've been listening to it, although you didn't realize it. So when someone says, actually, that is the Holy Spirit, in the same way the teacher said, actually, that was dear, you think, oh, well, it was quite nice. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to compare him to eating deer, but I'm trying to just use an analogy to help explain it. Spend time talking to him, and you'll find he talks back. And you know his voice, the voice of a stranger you won't follow. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Say this with me. Say, I know his voice. I know I know it. In my knower, I know. Number one, spend time talking to him. Number two, and I've sort of covered this a little bit already, praise and thanksgiving. In the same way you get to know the Father, in the same way you get to know Jesus, you get to know the Holy Spirit. Again, we've talked about, is it okay to worship the Holy Spirit and give thanks to the Holy Spirit? Yes, emphatically yes. He is God. He always has been, he is right now, and he always will be. But in the same way that Jesus received glory and worship for certain things and directed other aspects of that worship to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes to receive worship for certain things but to direct other aspects of that worship to Jesus. You'll find if you start worshiping for him for the wrong thing, he won't strike you with lightning, but he'll, he'll direct you to Jesus. In fact, I find this, when I get around the Holy Spirit, my worship for Jesus just explodes. It's okay to worship him, it's okay to give him thanks, but he loves nothing more than to turn your heart and get you gazing full on at Jesus. It's one of the ways you know the Holy Spirit's moving because your worship of Jesus, things about the Lamb, things about the blood, things about salvation, things about grace, just explode in you. But find out, again, dig into the Word. Find out, listen to these CDs over and over again. Find all the verses I mentioned, all the things I've said about the Holy Spirit and take some time. I'm not talking about 48 hours, but take some time and give Him thanks. Thank Him for leading you. Thank Him for guiding you. Thank Him for filling you. Thank, you, thank Him for giving you a heavenly language. Thank you, Him for praying and making intercession for you according to the will of God. Find out all the things the Bible says He is to you and give Him thanks for those things. We were taught to do that regarding Jesus. Kenneth Hagin said, go through the epistles and every time you find the words in Him or in Christ or in the Beloved... Highlight them, and that lets you know something about who you are in Jesus. We need to start doing the same thing when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Find every verse that talks about the Holy Spirit. The things Jesus said about Him, the things that you see Him doing in the Acts of the Apostles and throughout the Epistles, and give Him thanks for it. Because the Bible says the way that we grow in any gift... All right, Pastor David quoted already, but turn over there, please. Was it 2 Timothy? You don't know what verse of... No, not that one. It is, 2 Timothy, I'm sure. Well, actually... Yeah. But there's two, and I'm not sure which one I want. Let's go to the other one, 1 Timothy 4. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. Something given is a gift. Jesus said this, verse 14. Now, 
neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy and with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Now, Paul is talking specifically about Timothy's ministry gift. But the principle is here, a gift given by God can either be developed or can lie dormant. And Paul said the way that you, that you give yourself to the gift or the way that you build or grow in a gift is to not neglect the gift that's given you. Verse 15, but meditate on these things. What things? The gift. Give yourself wholly to it that your profiting or your growth may be obvious to everyone. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you as a believer. Jesus is God's gift to you when you're a sinner and still is with you. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you as a Christian. There's a gift in you. Give yourself to this. Meditate on this gift. Don't neglect it. And the Bible says your growth in this will be obvious to everybody. If I want it to be that my relationship with the Holy Spirit and my growth in my relationship with the Holy Spirit is obvious to everybody. I want to be able to walk down the street and the Holy Spirit speak to me this, talk to me that and give me this idea and tell me where to go there and, and tell me what's wrong with this person and direct this conversation and lead me in something I shouldn't shouldn't do. And I, I want my relationship with the Holy Spirit to just take off. The Bible says the way to do that is to meditate on this gift you've been given. Take some time to find out about the Holy Spirit through the Word. Take some time to read about Him, get to know Him, and give Him thanks and give Him praise. So number one, spend time talking to Him. Number two, praise and thanksgiving. Find out who He is and give Him thanks and give Him praise. And number three, learn to yield to Him. Everyone say yield. yield. Now this is where some of the Christian or the the Charismatic, Pentecostal strangenesses to the, to the outward appearance anyway come into their own. Because actually it's in a charismatic service with the charisma of the Spirit that we learn to yield. In fact, the Holy Spirit requires us to yield. The very first thing that happened after people were filled with the Holy Spirit is He asked them to yield their tongue to Him. There's a yielding to, to release the Holy Spirit in your life and to release all He wants to do in your life. We've got to learn to yield. And we've learned this in certain ways. You've probably heard me talk this, talk this before years ago, but it bears repeating. We learned this, many of us, in worship. Some of you came out of a more traditional type setting. And you would have heard, or heard about this charismatic church up the street, maybe this one or perhaps another one, wherever you're from. And you'd heard that they were so kind of out there, they... They clap in the choruses. And all you do in your church is stand up and sit down when you're told. And so you, you were a little bit nervous about going into this church where people actually raise their hands. And, um, but still, you'd heard there was good things going on, so you thought you'd give it a go. So sure enough, you come to the service, and you're sitting reasonably close to the back, close to the aisle, so you can make a bolt for the door if necessary. <laughs> And isn't it always the way that when you visit a church for the first time, especially a charismatic church, you're right in front, right behind, or right beside, sister, go for it. <laughs> Same way when you invite a friend, who do you get next to you, but, you know, sister twitch a lot, or whoever it is, you know. And so there you are, you're right, right, the row behind, sister, go for it. And sure enough, the service starts to get going, and, and it feels a little more alive than perhaps you're used to, and, 
and, and something in you is stirring, because whether you know it or not, you know the Holy Spirit, He dwells with you, He's in you, and, and, and something starts stirring in you, and, and sure enough, someone across the room, you can see them, they've done it, they've raised their hands, you'd heard about it, there it's going on, right, right in the room, over there. You're watching it, if you had an iPhone, you'd take a picture of it. But yet somehow something in you wants it. So you kind of make this decision with the Lord. Lord, if they sing that song again, if it kind of goes rousy, God, I'm going to go for it. I'm already here. They can see my car in the parking lot. I'm just going to go for it. And so sure enough, to your great delight, the worship leader sings the song again. It gets to that rousing part. And everything in you is desperately wanting to fling your hands in the air and with reckless abandon worship your Savior. But what actually happens is what I call the penguin. Your hands sort of pop out to the side a little bit. And you look down and there's a disconnect because you know on the inside they're pointing up to heaven, but on the outside this kind of all you could get. And so you're experiencing a freedom, but you somehow know there's more. There's chains not yet broken and burdens not yet lifted. So you decide, that's it. I'm coming back next week. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to give it another go. Not going to sit next to sister, go for it, but you're going to come back. So you come back the next week, and sure enough, that same sense of euphoria and excitement and the, and the bless the Lord, oh, my soul business, all that's within me starts going on. And so the songs get going, and, and, and you decide, that's it, I'm going for it. You look around the room, there's no one you particularly recognize, so you're free. <laughs> and so you make this deep conviction, I'm going to fling my hands in the air, and you, you, you bypass the penguin, you go straight to the elbow bend, and that one. <laughs> Slightly undercover. You have to be short to see what's going on. But next time the song goes around, you manage to get the elbow height. And here's your hands. Here like this. And it's good and it's exciting and it's great. But somehow you know there's something more. There's, it's like the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you somewhere. He's trying to take you into a whole new experience of worship. And, and you want it, but you're nervous and, you, and you're excited about it, but you don't know how to yield. And, but all of a sudden, something really comes on you. you. You genuinely stop caring. You don't care if, if people think you're crazy. You don't care if you think your own self is crazy. The worship leader says, let's sing it again. The drummer goes wild and you don't care anymore. You throw your hands in the air. And it's like everything inside you is crying out, God, I love you. Amen. Do you remember that? That freedom, that first time you raised your hands in church and, and it's like the, the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and your wife was prettier. It's like you got born again again. You remember that euphoria when you started. What really is the difference between whether your hands are down here or whether up there? It's yielding. But the trouble is, now we've gotten so used to that, actually raising our hands in church is an extremely effective way of checking the time without seeming carnal. You... So slide that puppy over, have a look at the watch. And... Oh, hallelujah. You're not yielding anymore. The Holy Spirit's trying to take you somewhere altogether new, like Ezekiel in the river. He was standing in one place. The angel said, are you enjoying this? He said, yes, it's great. And the Bible says he took him by the hand. He brought him through to a new place. He said, okay, try it now. 
And then he grabs him by the hand. He brings him through to new places, to the waist. He says, now what do you think? We kind of have this impression that Ezekiel was standing there, minding his own business, enjoying the river. When the angel says, Ezekiel, wait there. You think that's good. You ain't seen nothing yet. And out come his wings. And he flies up to the throne room. And he spins the big glory wheel. Looking down to see the river rises. It rises to the knees. He shuts it off quickly. Swoops back down, says, Ezekiel, what do you think? And Ezekiel says, man, I thought it was good before, but it's even better now. What happened? Where did that come from? And the angel kind of smirks and says, well, I got more where that came from. Out come the wings. Back up to the throne room. Turns the big glory wheel. Waits to see it. Says the way. Shuts it off real quick. Doesn't want to drown him yet. Swoops back down. In other words, we kind of had this impression that standing exactly where we've stood, doing exactly what we've done, for some inexplicable reason, the glory just rises. No, no, that's not the illustration we were given. That's not how God taught us. What God taught us is that he comes and he takes us by the hand. Now, in the Old Testament, people were led by angels and prophets. In the New Testament, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. So it's the same principle, though. He takes you by the hand and he brings you through. So you discover that at the same time you're walking in a much greater anointing, you are not where you were. You are not walking in a new anointing in your old position. You're not standing in a new level of power with your old level of yieldedness. Amen? Come on, work with me. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? And so God requires and asks a little bit more. And this is why people get out of their seats and come and worship at the front or kneel down. What are we doing? We're yielding. Remember the first time you were slain in the spirit? You came up to the front and you're standing there. And you've kind of got your... You don't know what to do with your hands. You're, you're sort of waiting. What, do I pray while I wait? Do I sing? Do I, you know, I don't want to seem carnal and look around. And so you're standing there and the closer the preacher gets and other people are being slain in the spirit and you're thinking, well, like, do I fall over or not? Is he going to push me? I don't want him to push me. If he pushes, I'll push him back. No, I shouldn't think that. That's carnal. No, no. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Now repent. I won't push him back. I'll just, I'll just resist really hard. He's not going to push me down. And your, your brain's going crazy. That's why Jesus said, when you come to the river, come and drink. He didn't say, come and think. We stand there thinking, should I go up, should I go down? Should I fake it? I, I don't want to seem carnal. I'll just, I'll just fake it. But you stand there, and, and we've all, I've been in places like that. You've been going down, you're praying for people, and everyone you lay hands on, it's, it's hard to explain it, but it's like you just, you feel the anointing going into them. And it's like, I don't know, it's like putting your hand in water. And then you come to the, another person, and it's like, it's like praying for a refrigerator. <laughs> or a Mack truck or something. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's nothing. And then you go to the next person. And what's, what's, is it about falling over per se? No, or else we could all just lay down on the carpet for 10 minutes at the start of the service. Get up, go home. We'd have everything we need. Save ourselves a whole lot of aggro. It's not about laying on the carpet or carpet. It's about learning to yield. Do we have to fall over to be spiritual? No. Actually, I'm more excited to people, see people get up and walk out in the spirit than to go down. And, go and, being slain in the spirit is one thing. Walking in the spirit is a lot harder. But it's, it's, it's learning to yield. And some of those things which seem foolishness to the mind, like raising our hands in church with a whole bunch of people or being slain in the spirit and caught by an usher, I mean, come on, where on, earth, where on earth else do you do that? Just fall back and some guy catch you. 
that you don't know? You're not even graceful about it. Many times your legs are everywhere. I've seen people drop like a stone, fall the wrong way. I was almost choked by one person who went down and grabbed my tie. I've had microphones ripped out. Ron Canoli, his tooth was knocked out. He was holding a, uh, in this uh, Marilyn Hickey's church, he was holding a wireless microphone. He prayed for this lady. She went, whoo! Smack, smack the microphone. I saw it right out of that. Shot out like a bullet. Popped his tooth right out. He was flying to Africa the next day. Thankfully, there was a dentist in the church. Went and did emergency surgery and put his tooth back in. Evangelist friend of mine said he was praying for a lady, popped his head in a little bit overly enthusiastic, popped his hand on her head, didn't realize she had a great pin sticking through. <laughs> Drew blood. <laughs> he goes, ah! <laughs> You'll be amazed what goes on in prayer lines. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely shocked at some of the stories I could tell. Dead birds, putting my hand and going down a prayer line, there's a bird. It freaked me out. It did. <laughs> Got me out of the spirit in a hurry. But God has chosen the weak things of man and the foolish things of man to confound the wisdom of the wise and the things that are nothing in the world would despise. God uses that to build the church. He's not building it with enticing words of man's wisdom. He's building it by the demonstration of his spirit and power. And so the things that we kind of poo-poo God said, no, this is what I'm going to do in your life to build you and alert, teach you how to yield. Because if you think it's crazy being slain in the spirit and caught by an usher, wait till you go to Starbucks and you look at someone across the way that's got a funny looking leg or whatever it might be and the Holy Spirit says, go pray for them. Then you see if you have a King David moment, I'll become more undignified than this. If you've never known undignified, you can't become more undignified than it. Does that make sense to anybody except me? Yes. <laughs> Let me try and unpackage that and have it make sense. If you've never been, if you've never known undignified, you can't ever be more undignified. If all you've ever been is polished, composed, and together. <laughs> but you know as well as I do, a careful study of the scripture reveals dignity is not a fruit of the spirit. You've never seen anyone act dignified when they put their hand on a fire. It doesn't matter whether you're from Georgia, Texas, England, or Nigeria. When you touch fire, something happens. And it's not dignified. You run screaming for the nearest tap. You're hopping up and down. You stick your hand in your armpit. Why people stick their hand in the armpit, I don't know. Now it's not just burned, it's sweaty. But at that moment, you don't care. You don't stick your hand in your armpit when you're being dignified. Queen's golden jubilee. She doesn't stick her hands in her armpits. For goodness sake, she's the queen. God loves humility. But he does not humiliate us to generate humility. He says, you humble yourself. I'm not going to humiliate you. You humble yourself. In my sight, I'll lift you up. When David danced around, his skirt came up, but everyone saw his knees. 
And his wife rebuked him and said, in effect, you made a fool of yourself spinning around. Everyone saw your knees and you're the king. For goodness sake, made a fool of yourself, made a fool of me. Now everyone knows what my husband's knees look like. <laughs> Apparently they weren't very fetching. <laughs> and so he said this in modern terms, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, I will become more undignified than this. And he went on to say, and in front of the people before whom I've humbled myself, I will receive greater glory. Yeah. David understood humility, humbling ourselves. Yeah. Saying, Lord, I'll be a fool for you any day. I learned that. You probably heard this story. I'll close with it. The first time I ever saw people dancing in the spirit or running in the spirit, I was at Ramah. And I'd grown up dignified in a very well-to-do family in a very well-to-do country where you didn't particularly show emotion. And God had begun to really grip me about three months before I moved to America at this meeting with Rodney Howe Brown. I was telling you about it the other day. But I'll never forget I went to prayer school. And um, we'd been there about... Three, two or three weeks or so, and they were singing songs which I'd never heard of and just were completely foreign to me. Things like, um, can't nobody do me like Jesus. <laughs> now, I went to school <laughs> six days a week. Can't nobody do me like Jesus is not great English at all. And just about when you think that's as bad as it can get, I went to a church in Tyler, Texas called the Lord's House. They'd sing, can't nobody done me like Jesus. Now, about 68 tenses in there just for, just for old time's sake. Can't nobody done it like Jesus. He picked me up, spun me around, told me to run on. <laughs> run on with a kind of all. And so, and then other songs like, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. And then with a rousing second verse, call him up, call him up. Tell him what you want. And I'm, I'm trying to get in the spirit singing, call him up, call him up, tell him. And it's just not working for me, you know. So anyways, I'm kind of having a penguin elbow bend, shoulder height moment of my own in this service. I was all right with raising my hands, but what was going on? In my spirit, I knew something was happening. Like the whole, I like deer, even though I was sure I didn't. I like what was going on, even though as far as, far as I was concerned, I had moved to the funny farm. Trouble is, I'd invested all my money. I'd given it to the Bible school, paid my tuition up front. I was over there. Now my flight wasn't back for nine months. I was stuck. <laughs> and so I never forget this anointing came through. And there was a euphoria in me. So I was going to respond to that euphoria how I always did. That was how I knew to yield. That to me was passion. And I saw people start to dance. And they were dancing so fast. My hands went down. I thought... What are they doing? They were dancing so quickly, you could hardly see their feet, and they were spinning. And as if it could not get any worse, the lady I was standing next to, who if she was a day under 80, I'm shocked, <laughs> dug me in the ribs with a bony little elbow. <laughs> dug me in the ribs, went right through my ribs and halfway to my lung, shoved me out of the way, stepped on my foot with her stiletto heel, my brand new shoes. They never recovered. I always had a dent in them. And she ran on. And here she goes out there. And bless her, her day had passed when it comes to, you know, going quick. But there she is. And she just <laughs> now, this is a big building. It took her about 45 minutes to get around. But bless her, she did it. And there are people there running around this building. Most of them ran in the same direction, but here comes the odd one or two going the other way. And I'm, I knew a little CPR. I thought I was going to have to use it. 
And I started praying for this old lady. I thought, Lord, please don't let that guy that's gone the wrong way. I mean, she would have been out like. And I'm watching all this going on, and I'm thinking, what on earth is wrong with these people? <laughs> but the trouble is, I'd met some of them before, and they had, they had a fire that I didn't really have. They had a passion I didn't really have, and I, I wanted that. And so I stuck around for two reasons. One, I was hungry for God, and two, I already explained, I'd given all my money away to the Bible school, and I, my flight wasn't for nine months. I'm stuck. And I didn't want to go back to England two weeks later with my tails between my legs and said, I thought it was, you know, great, but they're, you know, nuts. So I kept going and kept going, and I was watching what was going on. I was watching their faces when they were dancing and running and, and, and spinning, and feet were moving faster than a pneumatic drill, and I'm watching all this going on, and something in me wanted it, and so I did exactly what I described with the hands raising business, and I said, okay, this time I'm going to give it a go, and for me, I had the benefit, I was 3,000 miles from the nearest person that knew me, they weren't filming the services, and there wasn't Facebook and Twitter, so no one was going to know what I'd been doing, and so grabbing hold as tightly as I could to the chair in front of me, I thought, that's it, I'm going to go for it, and I did a little skip. And then another little skip. And I skipped for about two weeks. Being, and I never sat next to that old lady again. That, that I'm not doing. I love the Lord, but that's pushing it. So and I just skipped. And, and then all of a sudden, it just you reach that point where you just suddenly stop caring. It's actually it's what the Bible calls being in the spirit. In the spirit is not some, you know, out there. It just means when you're more focused and, and looking at the spirit realm than the physical realm. The Bible puts it this way, don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. The things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. And I got in the spirit and I forgot about everything else going on around me. And my feet started to move so fast. And they said, you know, I'm spinning. And I, I mean, I'm spraying chairs left, right, and center, but I didn't care and I didn't hurt myself. And the next thing I know, I'm running. And I go past this little old lady and said, hi, as I'm running past her. <laughs> you all right? And I'm going around this room, and man, the, the faster I ran, the freer I got. And this holy liberty. I understand what he means when he says, when you wait on the Lord, you'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll run. You won't grow weary. You'll walk. You won't faint. You know, the only way you can run and not grow weary is to do it in the spirit. spirit. I've seen people start out with arthritis. <laughs> Run in the spirit. And not only are their knees not weary at the end of it, their knees haven't even got arthritis. 
I've seen people start out hobbling and end up sprinting. Why? Because it's not natural running. You're not training for London 2012. You're yielding to the Spirit. And the same, the same way it's foolishness to the natural mind. I like speaking in tongues. I mean, listen for a minute. It's foolishness to the natural mind. The Bible says your mind doesn't understand it. But in the Spirit, you're speaking mysteries. My friend, we got to get it through our heads. We are in this world, but we're not of it. Your body is going to die. Your spirit is the part that's going to live forever. God is a spirit. If you're really going to worship him, you're going to be doing it in the spirit. And in many ways, it's only when you come to the end of yourself that you really begin to step into the spirit. So, talk to him. The Holy Spirit. Remember all that? Number two, praise him. Love him, worship him, honor him, revere him. My goodness, he's been boxed away by so much of the church for so long. When someone comes along and gives him honor, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Do you know how important the Holy Spirit is to the Godhead? Jesus said, you can grieve the Father, you get a sin against the Father, you get away with it. Sin against me, you get away with it. Touch the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He is so gracious and powerful and gentle and mighty. He's so personal and relevant and real and faithful and loyal and close. And He's amazing. We need to start giving Him some honor again. And we need to start yielding to him. Whether it's our hands raised, our knees down, slain in the spirit, running around the room, talking to the person that he asked you to talk to because you'll gladly be a fool for him any day. You're not really worried about what people think. You're only, you're only living this life for an audience of one. You're only looking for approval from one person and it's not you. And It's, 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 it's him. My, my, my. I really believe these few days, for me and for you, these few days have the power to transform our lives, transform our Christianity, transform our everything. Like the two guys I was telling you about yesterday, the, the guy in my church is broken and my close to billionaire friend. It doesn't matter who you are. When you let the Holy Spirit, He changes everything. So... We're at the end now. I've preached plenty long enough already, and I appreciate you listening. I went about 40 minutes longer than I had planned. So thank you. Genuinely, thank you for your patience with me. Angela always says, better to leave people wishing they got more than knowing they got too much. So thank you. But that being said, we're not quite done. Because we cannot spend all this time talking about something as wonderful and as amazing as an encounter with the Holy Spirit and a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and then say, all right, you better go. No, 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 no. He wants to come and fill you, and touch you, and minister to you, and move in you, and on you, and through you. So, where's Will? Oh, hi, sorry. Didn't recognize you, know in the back. I don't know, when I lay hands on you, whether you're going to fall over, 
Raise your hands, drop to your knees, run around the room, dance, spin. I'll be frozen like a statue. I've seen that many times too, even in this room. Frozen like a statue, thrown through the air. I don't really mind. And I tell you what, I'll give you my word. I'm not going to push you over. Because if you go down in the flesh because I pushed you, then no, no. But by the same token, don't, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a football match. We're not racing. <laughs> Let the Holy Spirit touch you today. What I'd rather do, what we tend to do, is we all kind of come and stand up at the front. I wouldn't mind us just sort of spreading out a little bit around the room. So we've got a little bit of space. For, I, I said at the start, we've learned how to encounter the Holy Spirit. But we haven't learned how to get to know Him. I believe tonight we've learned and been refreshed in how do we get to know Him. So when I lay hands on you, you'll have an encounter. But when you're laying on the floor or when you're standing by yourself or when you're driving home, get to know him. An encounter is a moment. A relationship is a lifetime. In fact, this relationship you'll have for eternity. you have for eternity.